0: なんだ、石が
1: to Out of the Blue on this sunny Sunday morning. I'm Donna and I've got a couple of guests which I'll introduce in just a moment. Before I do, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this land was never ceded. It's also the end of Daylight Savings this week, so I hope you've got all your timings right. You are listening to Out of the Blue and we'll be back with our show in just a few minutes. I'm gonna be Anemone cocktail followed by oyster liqueurs.
0: Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3 Oh clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, oh, you 3C, oh, yes, you'll sure know where you are. If you listen to 3 Oh clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. Well, check out the happy vibe. They're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to three, say oh, clap your hands. What? Ears. Who the hell is that? Flap your hands. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio.
1: are tuned to 855 AM 3CR. I'm Donna and I'm joined in the studio today by Amanda Franklin. Morning, Amanda. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And on the phone is Jackie Pocklington. Hi, Jackie. Good morning. How are you ladies? Fantastic. Good day. Thank you. Um, Both Jackie and Amanda are out of the blue alumni. So very (laughs) exciting to have them both back on air, back on the 3CR airwaves. Um, Both before my time i think there was a little bit of crossover i think with me and jackie yep yeah
2: i think i left before you started just before though
1: (laughs) (laughs) but great to have you both back on and also great to um have two people still loving the marine industry and still working in the ocean space so it hasn't left you completely at all has it? Absolutely not. Um, And I think that's kind of going to be my first question to both of you. I like to ask all my guests without any prior warning. um, (laughs) 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 Surprise question. Um, What your earliest and most I guess triggering memories of the ocean and the sea are that kind of, yeah, triggered your love for for the ocean and the marine field. Shall I go first? Go for it.
2: I would have to say going rock pooling with mum and dad down at Cape Patterson. We used to go every year. um, I think it was at Christmas every year just after, and we would go through the rock pools. I remember finding crabs and little sea stars and anemones, and it was just to me, it was amazing what there was in those little rock pools on the shore.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that's a beautiful part of Victoria. I love it down there too. Yeah. Um, and Jackie?
0: Well, I was just, I'm just i just trying to think. I just—I can't think of a particular marine biology kind of thing, but I remember going swimming. We used to always spend um, summers around Torquay. So, yeah, oh. we'd always just hang out at the beach and just being in the water and looking at all the prettiness
1: perfect oh thank you both for sharing that um so by means of introduction i'm gonna um we're gonna be interviewing amanda about some recent research um that you've completed so amanda franklin started her research career completing her master's degree at the university of melbourne researching costs of mating in dumpling squid so i've got a few questions actually before i get right into it what are dumpling squid Oh, dumpling
2: squid are awesome. They're found all across um, Southern Australia. And so they're in Port Phillip Bay. So if you go out snorkeling or scuba diving at night, you can find them. Uh, They're quite little. They'd be maybe, I don't know, three to four centimetres long. And they usually live in the sand. So in the day they cover themselves in sand. And then at night they come up out of the water and they'll feed and mate and uh, do whatever it is they need to do. And they've got like little iridescent patches on them. So they look kind of greeny or orangey yes, yeah. in some cases. Yeah, cool. they're very cute.
1: I saw my first squid in Port Phillip Bay just a few weeks ago, actually, at Beaumaris. Um We were doing the nudibranch survey um, and, yeah, they just kind of, I don't think they were these ones because it was the daytime and they were just like maybe, yeah, same kind of size, maybe, maybe a bit bigger, five or six centimetres. And they were just kind of suspended in the water column, just kind of all in lines lined up. Yeah. It was really cool. i have never seen that before. Yeah. I don't know what kind they were. Um, My fish and mollusk and my underwater ID is terrible, (laughs) but I do see certain things and get very excited. Um, so I'll keep keep going with your intro. Um, so from there, from the Masters, uh, Amanda received a Fulbright scholarship to complete her PhD in the US in Boston at Tufts University, researching visual communication and camouflage in a stomatopod, stomatopod, sorry, crustacean, which is mantis shrimp. Is yeah, right? mantis yep. shrimp and her research demonstrated that mantis shrimp used colour signals during contests over resources. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, that research and how the scholarship came about, how it was living in the US to do that? Um, yeah, and colour signals. So the... I'll start with the scholarship.
2: That's sure. Um, they're actually open at the moment, so anyone. Oh, a, bit of a plug there. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's for all different fields and all different levels of your career, so people should look at that. Oh, cool. um, but the Fulbright gives you opportunity to go to the states and um, do some research or study or sometimes professional development in your field, and so you have to apply and tell them what you're hoping to do. And then they would award it to you um, if they think you're suitable and then you pick where you would go. You usually suggest something in your application and then um, um, follow that up afterwards. So I picked to go to Tufts University, which is in Boston in the northeast, and that's where I worked on mantis shrimp. So they're really cool. There's two things that I think are super interesting about them. One is that their vision is the most complex that we know of. So they can see um, what we can see, the visible spectrum, and also UV light, um, a little bit potentially into infrared light and also polarised light. Um, But we don't really know much about what they're using it for. Mm -hmm. And the other super interesting thing is they have this movement. It's like a punch or a strike and it's super fast and super powerful so they could break aquarium glass with that, even though these shrimp could be maybe, you know, four to... 20 centimetres long so they're not huge That's crazy, but it's so powerful and wow, so, I yeah. did
1: I was googling this particular shrimp yesterday yep. doing my show preparation and I put <laughs> a little Facebook um a post about them on our Facebook page from Nat Geo National Geographic oh yeah it's one of those really funny like American sensationalized <laughs> yep. like the talking <laughs> over the video and it like pretty serious kick yeah yeah yep. um it's like I think they said it was like the most powerful kick in the animal world, or something like that, or based yeah. on you know, like size to power ratio, or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's um, definitely
2: worth googling them. Yeah, because they're really weird looking as well, bright and colourful. It's hard to explain over radio, so I'd but recommend googling them. Yep.
0: I'm guessing you didn't work on shrimp in Boston.
2: Uh, (laughs) Good question.
0: Maybe the theory part.
2: So I did field work in Belize and so that was, they're found on tropical reefs. So I had to go somewhere to do the fieldwork.
1: So that's why you chose them or were you interested? No. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But um,
2: people love them for aquariums, even though they're very aggressive. So in Boston, (laughs) I could order them from aquarium shops and they'd ship them to Boston. And so I housed some in the lab at Boston as well.
1: Oh my god! cool
2: yeah it's handy working on animal people like as pets <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: so color is obviously used by species all in everywhere in the animal kingdom um to signify various things and um you know alarm or stay away or eat me pollinate me whatever what is the significance of color in mantis shrimps because you mentioned they're quite bright and colourful and whatnot.
2: Yep. So people had had a a little bit of a look into whether mantis shrimp use colour to communicate. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to look at that a bit more because obviously they have this complex vision. So maybe they're using colours to um, talk to each other. Uh, So the shrimp, all of these mantis shrimp have um, a coloured patch on their arm. It's like a little circle and different species have different colours. And within a species as well, there's a range of colours. So I thought maybe it could be signaling body condition or how strong the shrimp is. So I was looking at that um, with the idea that mantis shrimp with really dark coloured patches might be stronger than those with lighter coloured patches. Um, mm. The the theory behind that very briefly is that they need to eat food to make the colour, and so they would yes. have eaten more, be in better condition to make a darker coloured patch. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, and so it seems like that's true from what we mm. what we researched. It looks like shrimp with darker coloured patches can actually strike or punch harder than those with lighter coloured patches.
1: And what, So the advantage of that is that they're more competitive and can out-compete, out-mate yep, so they, their lighter counterparts.
2: Yep. So they fight all the time. And with this punch that is really strong, if you want to... It's better better if you could avoid a fight. So if they go up to another mantis shrimp and see that it's re- got a really light patch, then it might be like, cool, I'll go into this fight because I have a chance of winning. But yeah. if it's one with a really dark patch, it might just turn around and leave rather than uh, risk getting injured.
1: Yeah, okay. And the patch has a name, doesn't it? Yes. I learned this yesterday when I read your paper. Yep. Um, a mural, mural patch? Yeah, mural oh. patch or yep. mural spot. Mural spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That was another thing I learned yesterday, which was very interesting. Um, And I also was reading in your paper about um, the fact that those patches or the coloring in them is diet induced. Like what kind of things make You change colour. (laughs) Or not me, but these shrimp. Um,
2: So there are these chemicals called carotenoids um, or molecules. Um, So carrots have carotenoids Uh in them. Uh, Lots of birds and other animals, the oranges and reds are made from carotenoids and Mm. so they have to eat them. Um, So Donald Trump would eat a lot of
1: carrots. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Please keep going.
2: Yeah, and so in... um, in crustaceans, a lot of the purples and um, blues are made from carotenoids. They're just bound with a different other chemical that makes mm. it blue and purple rather than red.
1: Cool. And yeah. And do they – is that something common in a lot of animal species? Or Yeah. Is it, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Is it common in humans? Can humans do stuff like that? Do you know? I
2: don't know. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, carotenoids don't really – like hair and – um, it's usually melanin yeah, right. yeah yeah so it would be rather than diet related yeah which yeah. is
1: interesting because yeah I didn't know that animals yeah animal had animal coloring was diet related I just assumed coloring was always a genetic kind of thing so, yeah, yeah not always hmm, especially
2: it's especially the reds and oranges yeah
1: all right yeah. Hmm. Um, and we were chatting before we went on air about the eyes of these mantis shrimp which sound absolutely fascinating so they have three focal points as opposed to a human's one focal point yeah
2: so each eye has three focal points which kind of gives them six focal points total yeah um so they think maybe that they could perceive distance well with just one eye so what that means is three parts of the eye look at the same region in space um so that could Mm. give them distance perception when uh, just one eye is looking at something, which if you look at a mantis shrimp, both their eyes move independently and they're all spinning around in different directions. So it could help them with um, localising prey. So when they're punching super fast, they need to be have a pretty accurate idea of where that mm. prey item is so that they actually get it, um, either spear it or punch it. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah.
1: Did you get punched at all when you were um, <laughs> studying them? <laughs> like, I did actually. What did it feel like to a human Ooh. as so, to a glass?
2: I'm positive they didn't punch me as hard as they could because mm-hmm. I've recorded how hard they can punch and it wouldn't have been that hard. Oh, wow. But um, it felt like a rubber band flicking your finger. Oh,
1: that's pretty decent. Yeah. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. But I think they can punch much harder than that. So, I think it was lucky. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. What do you do that aggravates them to punch? <laughs> Not that I'm condoning anyone go out and get a mantis it's shrimp. tasty. <laughs> I would say almost anything. They're, oh, wow. They're, they're quite, quite aggressive. aggressive.
2: Yeah. So, they live okay. in little cavities in rocks, and so or burrow or a cavity. If you wave anything out the front and they see it, they'll probably try and punch it because they're trying to protect yeah, their okay. territory. So, it's It's pretty easy to get them to punch something. Okay.
1: And they're obviously quite a common species. Yeah. Yeah. This species
2: I worked on is um, all through the barrier reef in Belize. And then here in Australia, they're in barrier reefs or reefs all around the world. But in Australia, Mm. there's a lot of species in the Great Barrier Reef as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Um, and so what next for this research? Do you, um, like you've published a few papers, um, mm. which I think I can share with our listeners. Or yeah. put links up on yeah. our, yeah, I can put links yep. to um, Amanda's papers up on the Out of the Blue Facebook page. So people can have a read of those if they like. Um, but yeah, so what, what happens next? How, where's that led? I guess, yes. that research?
2: So there's still a bit more to publish that I'm looking at, um, trying to see whether they are camouflaged from fish and also a really rough idea of using math mathematical models to see what a mantis shrimp would see. But that's very rough because it's hard to work out. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how they're processing visual information, so yeah. it's got to be a very rough um, idea. And then it could lead into um, a lot more. There's a lot more coloured body patches that they have. There's different types of light, so um, polarised light, I think could be really important for mainstream communication, but it hasn't mm. been well studied yet. So I think that would be a really interesting avenue to go
1: down. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, because their eyes are just like, yeah, seem so advanced and so incredible. Um, their eyes are fascinating. <laughs> Amazing. Um, cool. We are going to go to a song now and we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM 3CR's Marine and Ocean News program. Welcome back. You are listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR. I'm Donna and in the studio is Amanda Franklin and on the phone, Jackie Pocklington. Welcome back. Yay. Yay. Thanks Uh for having us. Um, So just... Wanting to know where to now for you, Amanda, you've gone from squid to shrimp and now beetles.
2: Yes. Yeah. So veering away from marine science just a little bit, (laughs) just for now, I still (laughs) intend to go back. But uh, I'm working at Melbourne Uni in a lab that is interested in beetles and beetle colours. So thinking like Christmas beetles, like metallic, bright, iridescent and looking at what structures in there exoskeleton cause them to be these colours and then why. So it could be for communication or camouflage or maybe to help regulate their body temperature. Um, there's lots of different ideas, but it's not known yet.
1: Cool. Wow. Well, wish you all the best with that work. It ah, sounds thanks. super interesting. Um, I'm sure we can tie that back into some kind of marine-related marine, um, marine related thing to get you oh, back on one day <laughs> i have some
2: ideas of side projects that will be marine
1: <laughs> amazing <laughs> um we're going to quickly do some news headlines now from around the world uh first one there has been a chance discovery of a population of grey nurse sharks previously unknown to science just off the coast of the tiwi islands in northern oh. territory waters They're critically endangered shark which until now was known to reside on Australia's eastern and western coasts, was spotted by gas giant ConocoPhillips during preparations for its new Barossa gas pipeline. Mm. Uh, East coast populations of nurse sharks have fared so badly because they are highly vulnerable to overfishing and they have very slow breeding cycles with just two pups every second year. ConocoPhillips want to lay their gas pipeline through the oceanic shoals of a marine park. Um, And this involves seafloor modification and increased shipping movements through the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management Authority who have signed off on the pipeline's environmental impacts, saying the risks can be managed to acceptable levels. So we'll follow along with that one. Um, Researchers have documented what they are describing as the most severe coral bleaching to hit the world's most southern reef coral reef at Lord Howe Island. Scientists from Newcastle University, James Cook University, the University of New South Wales and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration have spent the last two weeks surveying corals around the island in the far South Pacific Ocean after they were alerted to bleaching in isolated areas. Bill Legat, a coral biologist at Newcastle University, said the worst of the bleaching was in shallow water closer to the shoreline, with some sites looking at 80 to 90 percent bleaching. Lord Howe Island hosts the world's southernmost coral reef, which is UNESCO listed. Um, Next news story. Thanks to Legal Action, this is a good news story. By the Humane Society International Australia, sharks swimming near or around the Great Barrier Reef cannot be killed for the deemed protection of swimmers and divers anymore. The tribunal found that shooting sharks dead does not reduce the risks of shark-human interactions, and non-lethal technology will now be used to track sharks, and drum lines that are to be checked more frequently with trapped sharks to be released immediately and and not uh, killed on site so that's yeah good news i think we've known for a long time that um drum lines and those invasive technologies don't don't work to prevent shark um shark attacks on humans so good news and jackie i think you had something about the great barrier no not the great barrier reef the great australian bite
0: well, I do, and I found another one was when I was looking up stuff for that. There was another paddle out for the bite, so there's a big campaign to um, try and stop um, oil drilling going on in the um, Great Australian Bite. The um, the modelling for what would happen if there was an oil spill is pretty horrendous. There's lots of um, those going around online if you want to have a bit of a bit of a look. But there's been lots of um, lots of the surfing community have gotten involved and um, they've doing paddle out protests so to show their support for not having. Um, Oil in the Great Australian Bight, which is a, you know, super important area. It's part of it. has got the great, great Australian Southern Reef all around it. It's, um, you know, super important area for whales. Um, so, yeah, not a good spot for oil.
1: No way. And I think Sea Shepherd did a great uh, documentary yeah. about that recently too, which um, you can check out on their website. Um, I had
0: a happy whale story that I came across. Oh, so let's
1: you- hear it. They oh, that disin- sounds good. They
0: disentangled a humpback in South Australia during the week on Wednesday. They had a successful oh. disentanglement. Poor thing got like in a craypot rope, and they managed to. The team all got along. There were heaps of volunteers, people from, you know, the local government agency and everything. And successful mission. Hump is free.
1: Perfect. Oh. That is. Too happy. Oh. A really happy, good news story to end on. Um, We've got one event coming up, a 2.5K mystery swim on Saturday, the 27th of April. So the open water season, I'm an open water swimmer, so just thought I'd throw this in there for people. Um, The open water swim season is almost over. So what now? A mystery swim. So there's a bus that will take you to a secret location and back again and the swim will, there'll be lunch, um, strictly limited numbers um, and it goes from 9am till 3pm with some surprises along the way. So if you are interested in a 2.5k mystery swim somewhere in the bay, head to ripswim.com.au. Um, And that is just about all we have time for today on Out of the Blue. I would like to thank my guests, Jackie Pocklington and Amanda Franklin, for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was fun. (laughs) Cool. And you've been listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR Community Radio. Um, And up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. Have a good Sunday, everyone.